You are listening to SPN, the Sports Podcasting Network. Hey, wow. You know what? The imagination now. Everybody has changed. Now they're getting so uh, creative in terms of their thinking and what they can do. Man, it's, it's, this is the best I've seen. Yeah, when you jump that damn high, you got a lot of time. To up the floor. Reads a drop down. Kobe! Blocked by LeBron. That basketball will never be the same. So that now has entered the fray. Wait a minute. And welcome to another jam-packed edition of a Hardwood Radio. Kevin Army joined again by Ben Lelievre. Ben, we thought it was not gonna happen, but we're three for three. Three for three. Another coach was shown the door. And this time it was the New York Knicks. Can you explain the situation that led to the firing of Derek Fisher? Uh, yeah, of course. Um, it was my Knicks, which pained me a little because I'm tired that they are the center of attention every time something weird happens. <laughs> but uh, yeah, they fired Derek Fisher because the team was uh, one and nine over the last 10 games and uh, Phil Jackson just had enough. Um, the, apparently, there was a lot of uh, tension since the beginning of the year. I don't know if you've heard that story, but uh, Derek Fisher has traveled in California in the offseason to see his girlfriend. It, his girlfriend happened to be Matt Barnes' ex-wife. Matt Barnes was a player for the uh, Memphis Grizzlies. Okay. And they, they, they got into a fist fight, and Derek uh, Fisher had a uh, black eye. So it, it didn't look good at all. Uh, so apparently the um, the management was very frustrated. With, they were frustrated with the losses. And the last straw, what I heard, is that Fisher has said in the media that uh, Rajon Rondo uh, would not be a good fit for the triangle because he has never succeeded against the triangle, which is not true because he won a... Uh, NBA championship against the Lakers of uh, against the Phil Jackson Lakers. So yeah, with the Celtics, right? Yes. No, exactly. And uh, it all seems weird too. Where where is Melo fit in all this? Um, Melo, I don't think he had anything to say. Uh, but my guess, my best guess right now with Melo is that he's hurt. He hasn't been. Uh, he has missed a lot of game in January and hasn't looked very good in. Um, in the games he played, uh, some people are, some uh, <laughs> journalists are talking about his knee, his knee acting up again. So um, I don't, I think he's really focused on uh, healing up and finding ways to compete right now. I don't think he's very uh, pained to see uh, Derek Fisher go. I don't think, I'm not even pained to see Derek Fisher go, honestly. <laughs> he was a bit of an orange cone on the sidelines. <laughs> he was not doing much. Just there for show. Uh, yeah, well, he was he was still kind of a player in his mind. He was going about his business like a player, and uh, and he was not. Uh, no, what worries me is that Kurt Rambis is replacing him. Do you remember Kurt Rambis? No, I don't. He was playing with the uh, with the Lakers in the eighties, 
And he, the highlight of his career is being clotheslined to the floor by Kevin McHale in the series <laughs> against the Celtics. There's a very violent YouTube, YouTube clip of that. He was wearing funny glasses. Um, but Kurt Rambis, um, I think it was Steve McPherson, from, uh, uh, formerly from Grantland, who said, replacing, um, he said that in a tweet, replacing Derek Fisher by Kurt Rambis is like dumping your girlfriend for your cousin. <laughs> it is it is the best way of uh, so, uh, resuming the situation Derek Fisher has bad of his record his Kurt Rambis has even a worse record Kurt Rambis is 32 and 132 as an NBA head coach Oof. yeah <laughs> that's, that's, that's a hundred game difference that's, that's I, a lot. I understand that he's a uh, I understand that he's he can run the triangle he can sh- it can show the triangle but he has shown very poor uh, adjustment and decision making. We're talking of a guy who played Ryan Gomes over Kevin Love when he was in Minnesota <laughs> because Ryan Gomes was giving more effort. Talent is, that? is not important. Effort means, yeah, I know exactly. what you mean. Exactly, it's like the Habs this season, right? Playing Paul Byron <laughs> on the first uh, unit. Well, David, he practices well. He needs to be rewarded. Ah, exactly, and you know, like this, the scorers they play on the bench. But I'm really, really afraid of what Kurt Rambis is going to do to this lineup. I think the players have been looking very uh, battered and tired over the month of January. I don't think Kurt Rambis is going to help uh, help them out. I'm going to watch the game tonight. It's their last game before the All-Star break. And I'm really scared of what I'm going to see. Yeah. And uh, where does that leave New York? Uh, is it on an interim basis? Do you expect a big-name coach next year? or like Because everybody's... Talking and giving their opinion. Even Dennis Rodman made Edwards to Phil Jackson say, "Look, dude, I'm available to coach." So and I have a happen. winning record. I think he said or something exactly. Like that. So, uh, uh, what do you expect to happen with New York in the offseason? There were the rumor was is that Rambis is going to be given every opportunity to earn the job. Um, the ideal, the ideal combo for a placement would be to hire. Tom Thibodeau, formerly of the uh, Chicago Bulls, as a head coach, and hired Jeff Ornacek as his associate. Thibodeau would take care of the defense and the overall uh, roster construction, and uh, Ornacek would be the offensive genius. But it's not going to happen. Apparently, Phil Jackson sniffed a little bit towards uh, Jeff Ornacek, but he's not a triangle offense uh, coach, so he's he's very unlikely to get consideration. There are two names that stand out. Uh, there's Brian Shaw, who has been uh, Jackson's player in Los Angeles. He has been an assistant coach. And Jackson wanted him to replace him when he left L.A. in 2010. But the Lakers chose against. But And uh, Shaw ended up uh, coaching two seasons in uh, Denver, where he did horrible, horribly. He, he drove the franchise into another... Uh, a bottomless pit, which are, they're trying to claw their way out of right now. Um, and the other name is, drumroll, who? Luke Walton, the oh. assistant coach from the uh, from the uh, uh, Golden State Warriors, who had the 39 and four record at the beginning of the year. I'm not sure they're going to go this way, and I don't think they should. Because somebody's <laughs> going to give him a chance for sure. Oh yeah, oh, oh yeah, it's him or the Lakers. He's an ex-Lakers player. He's an ex-Phil uh, Jackson player. So it's the Knicks or the Lakers. 
I am not sure which team was uh, was going to give him a chance, but I think he's going to go for the Lakers if he can choose, and he's going to come in there a lot of money because of what he did this year. So uh, I think the biggest the biggest possibility right now is um, is um, Luke Walton for both for Los Angeles, who are still being coached by Byron Scott, or for New York. Absolutely. You mentioned the All-Star break starting tonight. This weekend, <laughs> yes. Toronto is a center of the NBA universe. Yes, in, sir. In the six, it's the All-Star game with the Beavs and Drake, unfortunately. But uh, outside of that, it's the All-Star skills contest, which the one thing that excites me about the, the whole uh, All-Star game weekend. I think nobody cares about the All-Star game weekend except for uh, the the end of the skills contest because that's, a, that's an entire evening, right? They exactly. are they are starting I think at six with the celebrity game, and they're ending. At and you like, know what? I will always remember the celebrity game. I don't know how long it was when Little Bow Wow came on there and just showed up everyone. And just I think he was like what, 16 or whatever, and oh, just was yeah. awesome. That was a great moment of the celebrity game. We've seen Kevin Hart play really well the last couple of years. This year is going to be the coach, but over the last couple of years he was the MVP twice. I think is the celebrity was, game. Yeah. Yes, it was a BP last year, but the fans... The guy got skills. Oh, he got game. Like, Kevin Hart got game. He does, but the fans are uh, voting for MVP. Yeah, so, yeah, true. So it's and, easier uh, to... And they chose fans, Justin yeah. Bieber one year, even if he played really, really terribly. But you know what? Uh, he's good now. He's actually pretty decent now. So. Uh, there are rumors <laughs> that his basketball clips on the internet are fixed, like they're okay. the, that he paid player to. I don't know how true it is, but he did look good. He does look good on his uh, on his little vines. I gotta admit. Maybe he got a coach too, like a private coach for a couple of sessions with uh, with OVOs himself on a little training court down in Toronto somewhere. Most likely, he's a very big hoops fan, though. <laughs> no, exactly. So. Uh, The three-point shootout, we have uh, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Kyle Lowry, Chris Middleton, Devin Booker, James Harden, Chris Bosch, and J.J. Redick. Honestly, anybody's got a shot at Steph Curry or just should, should we just give the trophy to Curry right now? Um, I think the only guy who has a shot at Curry is uh, Clay Thompson, his teammate. Yeah. He uh, depends on who's hotter on the what night. Usually, uh, they have a very similar uh, three-point shooting percentage right now. I thought Clay Thompson would win last year because he's a bit more of a meathead, so he's a bit more insulated. I get this kind of uh, very uh, unique spotlight, but Steph is just a beast. I think Steph had the record for most uh, for most three points in a one session. I think he had... 24 out of 30 or something ridiculous like this. That's crazy percentages when you talk about three-point shooting. I saw, yeah, it's like 75% or something, maybe even when more. You're, when you're talking about a great percentage when it's around the 50% mark, and yes. then it's even great. So when you're over that, it's just, wow, wow, great great numbers. Basically, 40%, you're a good three-point shooter. 50%, you're elite. I think in over a season, the best percentage ever was 53%. Okay. But uh, this thing, this like 25, 24 out of 30, it's just, it's just insane. Um, usually, the guys do like, 18 or 20 out of 30 on uh, on their their run but last year last year clay and uh, last year, I thought last year Kyle Korver would win but clay and uh, Steph just went away with the contest I think they're going to face up in the finals this year again Now the dunk contest and now it's going to be my rant of the week Ben because the dunk contest is not what it used to be It used to be a contest where the best of the best were doing dunk against each other 
You know what? Outside of Vondra Drummond and Levine, yeah, Barton, God, Jordan, and Maine, but you know what I remember? McGrady, Carter, or Jordan, or yeah, no LeBrons, no anybody else, big names of the league. It seems like everybody's afraid of their image and they don't want to fail on the big light, so they're letting the other ones go. I think LeBron would uh, do great in the dunk contest. I think he's a very good in-game dunker. He does uh, dunk shows before every one of his games, apparently. Exactly. So why? Uh, I don't know. He's very protective of his brand. He doesn't like to put himself under unnecessary duress or unnecessary yeah, stress. He's going to be like, oh, what if I participate and I don't win? Yeah, what if? What if? Exactly. So we're trying to win it. Exactly. Like everybody else. Exactly. But uh, there's a very... There's a very good participant this year. The guy who won last year, Zach Levine. Yeah. He's, the, he's the only one, he's the only dunker, I think, since Blake in 2001 who really revived the spirit of what the dunk contest used to be. Did you see his face jam dunk? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. He flew up. He went East Bay between the legs. His head went under the rim, and he finished on the other side. Like, the level of complexity... And the, the amplitude were just insane. Like, he revived the dunk contest in these five seconds. Like, it was dead five years. Was it the one that he tried last year, too, to uh, redo the Jordan one from the, uh, the mid-'80s? When, where Air Jordan was born, where Jordan was, like... Everybody's in their mind is like, oh, he was over. He was on the other side of the free throw line. Now he was close to the free throw line, but it was still a little bit inside. But uh, the dunk that everybody like adds a foot over the years, it's even bigger than it used to be. But yeah, I, you know what dunk I'm talking about? Yes, I think the last time it was attempted and uh, the last time it was achieved was in 2012, if I'm not mistaken, by Serge Ibaka from the Oklahoma City Thunder. Okay. Uh, um, the guys who have to attempt. These this dunk is very explosive dunk, so it needs to be big guys with a lot of muscle on because if uh, uh, there's a lot of air, there's a lot of amplitude, and like smaller guys just tend to uh, fade away in don't the air. Don't get the rim, yeah. Then exactly. They can't reach the rim. Exactly. So, I've never seen a small dunker do do uh, do this sort of uh, this so sort the, of dunk. Does Levine repeat this year? Yeah. Um, you know what? Andre Drummond is going to be the first one eliminated. I'm, I'm pretty sure of that. <laughs> he's a good dunker. He's a good athlete, but he's not on the level of the others. Um, Will Barton is a, is a question mark. Uh, Will Barton's a very good in-game dunker. I don't know what he's worth, creatively speaking. The only guy who could give Levine a run for his money, I would believe, is Aaron Gordon from the Orlando Magic. I am really curious to see what he has in store. He's about he's about the same age as Levine, like 19 or 20. He has the same kind of explosivity, but he has a bit of a build, like is um, a, a little smaller than Blake Griffin, but he has a very similar build. So, so that is interesting to me, you know? If you had a prediction to do, not necessarily on a winner, but one thing that always interests me in the dunk contest is what did they come up every year to revolutionize? We've seen the backboard being used more and more to do mm -hmm. rebounds with other play people involved. What is one thing you think they're going to try to in innovate this year with the dunk I, contest? I have seen Levine uh, wind up on uh, Twitter trying some kind of reverse 360 between the legs. Basically, the, uh, the reverse 360 that uh, won uh, Vince Carter a, um, 
a, a dunk contest a couple of years ago, but with added with the between the legs added in the vines. I saw he could not nail it, but if he nails it, like it's going to blow people away, and it's going people are going to uh, people are going to go crazy over this dunk for years to come. Yeah, and if he's putting the vine out there, maybe because he already nails it and just wants to tease people. Maybe it was before a game too, so uh, I don't know like how much how much he really tried to. Uh, landed, or if he was willing that he put the if he put if he put his uh, the vine out there willingly, but um, yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure he has a couple of surprises in uh, in store for us. So Adam Silver goes to war against Hackashack. Yes, sir. Um, if that's going to be go down at the um, that's going to go down at the All Star break too because it's a it's a uh, Period. The owners used to talk a lot of problems with each other. Um, basically, what the Akashak is in the NBA, every every quarter your team has five fouls uh, to give. So if, if you foul five times, each time afterwards, each extra time you foul, the other team has two free throws. Um, it's very fair rule, but. Usually, what team does is uh, they get to their five fouls and they start fouling the guy who cannot who cannot shoot free throws. Is guy, it called hack a shack for Shaquille O'Neal? Like exactly. Shack really? Okay, so that's where. It's exactly hack. because that was pioneer with Shaquille O'Neal. Well, it's the, it's the Jordan it's the Jordan rule just differently. It's the fact that you hack the guy that's good, but this time you hack the guy that's not good at free throw, so he's missing the shot and you get the ball back. <laughs> Pretty much and. Uh, but um, before the before this year, Adam Silver said we were not going to fix it; that it would go on as usual. And teams have went bananas. Andre Drummond, who I think shoots 34% free throws, has had to shoot 36 free throws in one night. It's not wow. good for business. No, it's, it's not good for the NBA because, like, you pay to see a big guy break his free throws. Um, in the game against Philadelphia, Nerlens Noel jumped on uh, jumped on Andrew Drummond's back and hitched a ride just to just to get him to shoot free throws. It's well, it's, it's dangerous for safety of the players eventually for injuries for uh, that and for the spectacle for the entertainment of the game as well. Oh yeah, the, the, like the entertainment factor is really uh, is really the the key here, and the uh, Adam Silver really wants to ramp up the entertainment value of his games and right now right now as each time there's either andrew drummond deandre jordan or um what's his name dwight howard in a game it always turns into a brick fest with at the free throw line and i think he's getting very tired of that uh and like and the guys are really trying to improve their free throws but uh, deandre jordan has shown it this year it's very hard What's the solution to the problem? What should they do to eliminate that strategy in a way? It's a very a good question. I've heard a lot of stupid solutions that wouldn't work. Uh, the yeah, like give him like a, as soon as there's a foul, give him two free throws or three free throws. or Exactly. Or somebody else can shoot the free throws that you can choose who. The best solution I heard came from Bill Simmons. He said instead of having the other team shooting free throws, Give them back the ball with a 14-second shot clock. I I would do it personally. That would uh, that would be uh, the best argument against intentional fouling. 
if you give up a position to an intentional falling, it would be eradicated right away. And uh, that would, I think that would solve the problem. Maybe I have some unforeseen circumstance I'm not seeing, but I think it would solve the problem overnight. Yeah. Can you explain it, though? I'm trying to figure out what you're saying. So instead of 24 seconds, it would have 14? Yes. Um, so there's uh, two, free th th two free throws. And on top of it, instead of 24 seconds, they got 14. Yes. Basically, okay. instead of a... Uh, uh, no, no. They don't have two free throws. Like it's, They just get the, the ball. And they, um, they just get the ball and have a 14-second shot clock. When the shot clock... I think that's how the rule goes. When the shot clock is below 14 seconds... And the turnover is unprovoked, which means it's not the ball handler's fault. You get a um, a 14 second shot clock. Okay, so, so instead of just having a foul, and there's two free throws, and the other team get the ball, there's yes. no free throws. That team who was fouled got the ball back, and they got another shot of making a basket. So they're yes. eating up seconds off the clock, which usually is why the team are making the hack a shack is to stop the clock. Exactly. Okay. So I think it would work. I think it'd be interesting to try out. It's the it's the only, only this is the only smart solution I've heard to that problem so far. And All the rest are gimmicky, right? All yeah, the rest exactly. are gimmicky. Like, okay, give another free throw here, or you can uh, put all the names in the bucket and pick who's gonna throw the free, who's gonna shoot it. You know, and, yeah. pretty much. When there's a technical foul, usually the bench chooses the shooter, and. Like it would be the same. It would be the same as a technical foul. Like you can choose whoever uh, uh, can shoot a free throw. I think it would work to a certain degree because teams that are good at the line usually don't get fouled. Mm -hmm. uh, like for example, Golden State. Golden State never gets uh, fouled too much because they make teams pay at the line. But I really, for the flow of the game, for the fluidity of the spectacle, I like the 14-second shot clock uh, better. Yeah, because then the other team is cannot as much eat the clock. Yeah, they'll shave 10 seconds here and there, but they'll never mm. get the ball back right exactly. away. And you know what? Did they have 14 seconds and the other team can do whatever. And uh, there's a possibility that they can score more than two points. And so, yeah, there's a, it could be a big solution to maybe uh, stop that hack-a-shack strategy. Uh, a team like the Warriors, especially, who score early in the shot clock, would make other teams pay like crazy for it. With, at the... <laughs> and they would make them pay with three points too. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, big time. They would be do very, they are very good at, in, at uh, inbounds play and that take very little time. Very simple but very efficient way that uh, bank on Steph Curry's hairpin trigger uh, with, from, from deep and I think, it would, I think it would work perfectly for them. Before we move on to our prospect of the week, Ben, we have yes, we had a great game this week, uh, Golden State versus Oklahoma. Uh, what are the lessons we can take out of this game with two great teams of the Western Conference? The main lesson you can take out of this game, don't, don't mess try, with the Warriors. Don't try to outscore the Warriors. God damn it. Why did they try to outscore? Why did they change the, <laughs> I don't get a it into a shootout? You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of a boxer going out against Mike Tyson. Be like, you know what? I'll knock Mike Tyson. I'll go blow to blow against Mike Tyson. And he's going to fall first. No, exactly. he's not. You're going to fall first. It's the exact same thing. You're going against a warrior, trying to do three points and go blow for blow and outscore them. Guess what? You lose. And they tried their best in the first half. They had the Kevin Durant, I think, scoring 21 points. They had Russell Westbrook firing on all cylinders, too. 
But guess what? They they were like down by I think 16, 14 or 16 points by the half. They let the Warriors score 73 points. Uh, they lost there. That's what that's how they lost the game. And the second half they came in. They played a much uh, tighter defensive uh, game, Oklahoma City, and they have the bigger, more athletic guy. And they, I think they shut Golden State down to 40 something points. I mean, David Black had it right all along. You have to play a defensive game against uh, the the Warriors. You cannot turn this into a shootout under any consideration. No. And other otherwise, um, <laughs> I think uh, um, the other big lesson we have to learn from this game is that Billy Donovan has a lot of mileage to do as an NBA coach in order to change uh, the Oklahoma City Thunder into an overnight contender. He had lineups, I think, uh, Cameron Payne, Kyle Singler, and uh, who else? Oh, Anthony Morrow playing against Steph, Andre Iguodala, and Draymond Green. What do you think happened? They got killed. They (laughs) got murdered. Like, everybody on the floor... Uh, was uh, scoring for Golden State. Like, all five players were scoring at will. Uh, I like Kyle Singler as a um, as a role player, but this year, I think he's percentage-wise the worst player in the NBA. Yeah. Oh, one, one last thing I wanted to tell you about that game. It was really weird. Uh, Maurice Spates played uh, at center in that game, and Maurice Spates didn't play at all under Luke Walton. And he was absolutely badass running pick and pops with Stephen Curry all night long. So I think he might have had a problem, a personality problem with Luke Walton. I thought it was very interesting because he's a very he's a dominant bench player who hasn't played for the first half of the year. Only since Steve Kerr came back, he has started playing minutes. So I thought it was very intriguing. I th- I'm going to keep an eye on it, but maybe maybe it it tells it's a it's a hint of uh, a thing we need to know about uh, Luke Walton. Yeah, maybe if he's going to get the job in, uh, in, in New uh, LA York. or New York, a place yeah. where big stars and big <laughs> personality usually arise, if he's not able to uh, manage those relationships, that could become a problem. But uh, we're not there yet. I thought it was weird, though. I, I was like, why Why did Spates was benched even for one minute in the season? That guy is can defend, can score. He he can play selflessly. He's a very good player, and I think he's going to help the Warriors uh, beat the Bulls records. And they are still on track to do it. All right. To finish the show <laughs> again this week, as always, yes. the prospect of the week, Ben. Oh, I'm very happy this week. I wanted to tell you about this guy for so long, but I felt we had to go through uh, Ben Simmons and Brendan Ingram first. My prospect of the week this week is Buddy Heald from uh, Oklahoma. Buddy Heald is very interesting to me because he's a senior and he's 22 years old. He's older than guys like Chris Tapps Porzingis and Carl Towns. He's even older than guys who were drafted in 2014. Um, so that puts him all over the board. I've, I've heard, uh, I've seen mock drafts of him going in the second round. I've seen mock, dra- mock drafts of him going fourth overall. I don't know what to believe, but he's a very exciting player. Um, he's been compared to Jody Meeks in the beginning of the year. So as a basically a pure spot-up shooter, but he has been taking over in the college rankings this year. He's uh, the first in line for college player of the week of the year, pardon me. 
and he is a big physical and nasty guard who can defend who can charge the rim like a bull i know i'm making this comparison a lot but i think he's going to have the same impact uh, on the game at the pro level than wesley matthews who is playing now in dallas who was a central cog in um, portland's rotation for years he is a very good player and any team that drafts him, that has already a first scoring option, is going to get noticeably better by getting Buddy healed. I am very excited about this young guy. I think it's going to make a tremendous NBA player and keep an eye out for him. All right, Ben, before we let each other go, it's the All-Star weekend, but before the All-Star skills contest and the game, any game that caught your attention or is going to catch your attention in a couple of days? There is not that much to uh, that's going to happen until the uh, All-Star weekend. There's two games that might interest the viewers. There's Golden State against Houston tonight, which is going to be interesting. Houston has been looking up uh, for, uh, for a couple of weeks. And tomorrow there is what probably will be Kobe Bryant's last stop ever at Cleveland. He, the Lakers are playing uh, the Cavaliers on ESPN. So I wouldn't be great if Kobe Bryant torched LeBron for his last game in Cleveland. Yeah, that has a chance of happening. It depends what type of game Kobe's actually playing. The he's one where he hot. sucks or the one that he's good? He's been hot lately. So I would love that he scored 40 on LeBron and like walks out as a winner. And he's probably only relieved that he's never going to have to be in Cleveland ever again in his life. Who wouldn't be? <laughs> sorry, sorry to all our listeners in Cleveland, if there's any. <laughs> ben, thank you very much for doing this as always and I'll talk to you next week thanks to you, next week I'm going to have my friend Kev number 2 to make some crazy trade scenarios we already have hit the uh, ESPN trade machine, can't wait to show you guys what we cooked up you were listening to SPN, the Sports Podcasting Network visit us sportspodcastingnetwork.com dot com